0: Bibles to Hebrews chapter number ten. Now, I don't like what I've got to figure something out here this morning. Last service, the plan was to get through the whole chapter, and when I got almost through the notes, I stopped at a certain point, and I really went off on that area for a while. I wasn't planning on that, but that's where it happened. But I, I think I would say I think it was spirit led. That's my prayer, anyways. So then the question comes, I don't like having a service right after where I know what I did last service, but I feel last service, that's what the Lord wanted me to do. And then it could be completely different in a little bit. and then, But I don't want to get off where the two, two services are in different spots. So I don't know what I'm going to do here in the next few minutes. We'll see. I'm praying that the Lord will lead and will do what he wants because that's what matters most. But it's one of those things, if the Spirit leads you to do something, that's one thing, but when the Spirit led you to do something earlier, is He going to lead you? He doesn't always do that. And so I don't want to just do it for the sake of doing it, because I want you to hear what the first service heard. There's different people in different services, so yeah, it's one of those quandaries about having two services sometimes. So, and uh, I feel like I got a little animated last service, too, so my voice is starting to cut out just a little bit. Someone even gave me a bottle of water. They must have felt I needed it to keep the engine engine flowing for this service as well. Now, you look, you say 39 verses. That's a lot of verses. It is a lot of verses. So what we'll do as we go through here is I'm only going to read the verses as we go through each point. Last service, we got through verse 25. And anybody that's been in church very long, everyone has heard Hebrews 10.25 before. You've heard that verse. Pastors are good at using that verse. But I'm going to put it, you're going to see it in context today and see it is important and see why it's important. But we're going to go through our notes and we'll see where we get today. And hopefully we'll end about the same spot we ended in the last service. So let's have a word of prayer and then we'll dive in. Father, we're grateful again for this morning and grateful for the opportunity we have to be in your house. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the truths that are found in your word, and we thank you that we can explore them and see them and study them for ourselves. We thank you for Jesus. Literally without Jesus, nothing that we have would be possible. I think the author here in Hebrews has been trying to get that fact across of how great Jesus is. I pray you bless the time that we have. We love you. We need you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you remember a couple weeks ago, the author of Hebrews brought up the fact that Christ is a better high priest than what Aaron and his family line was. And so because he's after the order of Melchizedek. So we have a better. Or let's just put it this way. We have the greatest high priest. There is no one like Jesus. So since we have such a great high priest. And he's a great, the greatest high priest. That means things change. So the old covenant. With having the greatest high priest. The old covenant isn't good enough. It means there had to be a better covenant. And we've studied over a couple of weeks ago the fact the new covenant is better because the promises that God makes. If you remember with the old covenant, God told Israel, this is my laws. This is what I want you to do. And then they said, we'll do what you say. And then shortly after that, they make the golden calf. They do different things. They don't follow and do what they told God they would do. So God said in the book of Jeremiah 31 that he would give them a new heart. And that new heart that he would give them What would happen is it would change everything. And really, that's what we need today, a new heart, right? We look at our laws today. What government is trying to do is pass more laws because they feel if they pass more laws, people will do them. That's not true because the people who try to do what's right will try to follow the laws, but then those who break the law are still going to break the law. That's why you can take all the guns away but the bad people that will find ways to get guns will still have them because that's what they do. And you see, the problem is not in a gun in itself. The problem is the heart. And so God says, I'm going to give them a new heart. I'm going to put my spirit in them. Instead of the people saying, we will, God says, I will. And God's promises are greater than our promises ever could be. So we see the fact that we have the greatest high priest, which gave us a better covenant. The new covenant is better than the old covenant. And not only did it give us a better covenant, but it comes from a better sanctuary. The temple here on earth, it was good, right? But it was made with hands. It's going to fall apart. No one even knows where it is today. But in heaven, that's a great sanctuary. That's the perfect place to have the sanctuary. So we see, since we have the greatest high priest, we have the Better covenant, we have a better sanctuary, which leads us to today, the fact that we have a greater sacrifice, or the greatest sacrifice. And so, with that in mind, that's what we're going to look at this morning. There was a teenage boy whose mom went away for a visit, and he found himself having some time on his hands. And this was before video games or anything like that. So he decided to read a book from the family library. What, What are the odds right there? His mother was a devout Christian, so the boy knew that mom's library was going to have all these books, and in them was going to be basically a sermon at the beginning and an application at the end with a cool story in the middle. So he picked up a book and started reading it. And when he was reading the book, he came across this phrase in the book, the finished work of Christ. It struck him with unusual power, the finished work of Christ. He started to think within himself, why does the author use this expression? He thought, why not use the atoning work of Christ or the propitiatory work of Christ? For a teenager to know what the propitiatory work of Christ is, that's a big word for them to know. I still don't even fully get that word. But that's, and he asked those questions to himself, and he started thinking about it. And as he was thinking about it, he thought about how Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. And when that flashed in his mind, he realized that the work of salvation was complete in Jesus Christ. So this is what he said: if the whole work was finished and the whole debt paid, what's left for me to do? He fell to his knees and he received Christ as his Savior and the fullness of or the forgiveness of his sins. And that's how Hudson Taylor, the great missionary, got saved. Because of that phrase, the finished work of Jesus Christ. gripped his heart and you realize today there are many religions out there and in a lot of religion today they say you need to do this and do this to go to heaven you have to keep this or keep that but what the bible says is jesus christ paid the price he completed it and we put our trust in him All righteousness is as filthy rags. I go to the rescue mission almost every Tuesday. And I use that illustration often. Because as I drive up down there, I'll look at the side of the streets and see all the trash and the garbage. There's garbage all over on the streets over there. But my righteousness compared to the holy God is like that trash on the side of the street. That's the best I could give God. There are many people that keep trying to give God this and give God this, and it will never be enough because Christ is enough. As we look at chapter 10 today, we're going to look at this thing about Christ being the greatest sacrifice. So we'll go number, point number one, and then we're going to read the 10 verses, and then we'll continue on from there. Point number one today, we see that Christ's sacrifice takes away sin. Christ's sacrifice takes away sin. Let's read, starting in verse number one. Hebrews chapter number 10, verse number one. The Bible says, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the thing, can never with those sacrifices which they offer year by year continually, make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would not have they would have ceased to be offered, because that the worshipers once purged, should have no more conscience of sins but in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sin every year for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sin so as we look here this morning and we'll keep reading here in just a moment do you know what man's greatest problem is are you ready man's greatest problem sin that is man's greatest problem There is no greater problem than sin. Sin literally messed everything up. Think about this. If there were no sin, there would be no evening news. If there was no sin, we wouldn't need police officers. If there was no sin, the world would be perfect. And it was till sin entered into the picture. See, with our kids, I've mentioned it in the past, I have never had to sit my kids down and be like, all right, I'm going to teach you how to disobey me today. This is how, William, this is how you disobey. William, this is how you fight with your brothers and sisters. This is how you be selfish. We've never had to do that, right? Because it comes naturally in us to sin. That's why as parents you teach your children the right things to do. Because naturally they're going to do the wrong thing because that sin nature is, that is inside of all of us. Sin is the greatest problem that we have, which means what we need more than anything is something or someone to take that sin away. Now, when we look at this, we see letter A, the need for a better sacrifice. We read here in the beginning of this this passage, we see that the law having a shadow of good things to come the law, as it was mentioned, and as we see the law, it just pictured something greater coming. All the sacrifices that were made in the temple or in the tabernacle were a picture of something greater coming later. Now, I can use this example still for a while, but it's going to get to the point, as I get older, I can't use this example anymore. But the example is this. How many of you remember those old slides? Yeah, some of you remember those old slides. And uh, some of you don't know what I'm talking about. But those old slides, if you take the slide by itself, and you hold it up to light, you kind of get kind of what's there, but you really don't see what's all there. What you need is the projector. And when you put in the projector, boom, you see the whole thing, right? So the Old Testament is like the little slide. The Old Testament, there's a lot of pictures there. The whole Bible pictures Jesus. It's all about Jesus, so a lot of the things you see in the Old Testament are pictures of Jesus later on. So when you take the New Testament, it's like the projector. So you hear certain things, you're like, whoa, that's why. The, so that lamb, that was that's just a picture of Christ later on being sacrificed. It was a picture of it. We see that there was a need for a better sacrifice. You say, well, why was there a need for better sacrifice? Because every year, the high priest would offer on the Day of Atonement a sacrifice. And that sacrifice had to be done every year. It was never good enough. And I know you look at the sacrifices and offerings that people brought to God. The Bible tells us in the book of Isaiah that sometimes it got to be more of a ritual than any meaning behind it. But there were a lot of sincere people that would bring their offering to God and make a sacrifice to God. But the very nature of the old covenant sacrifice made them inferior. It was just a shadow of things that were to come and not the reality itself. The sacrificial system of the Old Covenant, of the Old Testament, was a picture of the work Jesus Christ would do when he came and when he died and was buried and rose again. That's what it pictures for us. And you've got to understand, the sacrifices that were made day after day pictured what Christ would accomplish someday. But when you think about this, every year on the Day of Atonement, On the Day of Atonement, they would have to make, the high priest would make a sacrifice for sin, right? Then what happened next year? A sacrifice for sin. And it kept happening and kept happening. All that it did was cover sin, not get rid of sin. My parents have been living with us going on four weeks. My mom, her health is not great. And with her arthritis, her fingers, everything, she has a lot of pain. She's on a lot of pain medicine. But one thing you got to realize about pain medicine pain medicine doesn't fix your problem, it covers the pain. That's all that it does. And so there'll be times where if she sleeps for a while, she's supposed to take her pain medicine every eight hours. she takes it every eight hours, it works. But if she misses it or sleeps through partway and it's like 10 or 11 hours, she's in terrible pain. A couple of weeks ago, I had a tooth pulled. And I don't know, that tooth didn't want to come out. And my mouth was in a lot of pain. They gave me some pain medicine. Thank God they, you said, you took it? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. So I wouldn't have taken it. You didn't have your tooth pulled. So don't be telling me what you do. Let me go get my pliers and pull your tooth out. And let's see if you want some pain medicine for it. But anyways, literally, it was one every eight hours. At seven hours, the pain was back at this burning sensation down through my jaw because what does pain it just covers it it doesn't fix the problem what the old testament sacrifices did it covered it till next year but what happens okay let's use that pain example so you might forget for a little bit of time that you have pain and then when the pain medication wears off you remember the fact that you have pain right so where every year they they might forget for a little bit of time their sin, every year their sin was reminded. It was right before their eyes because of the sacrifices that had to be made for their sin. So literally they're reminded every year of their sin, remembering their sin. So there was a need for a greater sacrifice, which leads us to letter B, the fact that God did provide a better sacrifice for us. Look at verse 5 through verse number 9. Look at what it says. It says there, Wherefore when he, this is talking about Jesus, when he came into the world, what it says, he said, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared me. In burnt offerings, listen to what it says here, in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come, and the volume of the book is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering, and burnt offerings, and offering for sin, thou wouldest not, neither hast pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then he said, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God, he that taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. You see, what happened with the old covenant sacrifices? Man brought what was sacrificed, right? So each year or whenever the sacrifices were made, man would bring a lamb, they would bring a goat, they'd bring their turtle doves, they'd bring whatever they're bringing for the sacrifice, right? So what God did was, God set a sacrifice. you remember how Abraham took his son and took him up on Mount Moriah in Genesis 22? And when they're there, basically, um, Isaac's like... um, The wood, the fire, where's the sacrifice? And what did Abraham prophetically say? God will provide himself a lamb. Literally, what God did, God gave us Jesus to be the sacrifice. Man did all the Old Testament sacrifices. God gave his son to be the new sacrifice. And when we look at this, when we see the word sacrifice through here, It says sacrifice and offering. That's talking about the animals that were sacrificed, the offerings that were made. You know, sometimes we'll see, we see twice between verse 5 and verse 9, we see that it says that God takes no pleasure in the Old Covenant sacrifices. That doesn't give us the idea that they were wrong to sacrifice those things. But what it kind of gives us the idea is that... God is more impressed, and God is bigger on, what did he say to Saul? Remember how Saul was supposed to kill Amalek and all the Amalekites? And then Samuel comes along, and he hears the sheep in the background. The king is still alive, and all these things. And literally, he says, what did you do, Saul? And Saul says, well, I did what God told me to do. Well, no, he didn't do what God told him to do. The next thing is like, well, the people wanted to offer God a sacrifice. Well, they saved the best of everything to offer God a sacrifice. Was that their true intent or not? I don't know. I can't read intent. Neither can you. So don't ever try to figure out someone's intent on something because it's kind of hard to figure out. But as we look at that, what did Samuel say? God hath more delight in obedience. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And God would have rather his people obeyed than to have to offer the sacrifices. And what did Jesus do? He was a willing sacrifice, not my will, but thine be done. He was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, right? So we see the fact that Christ became our sacrifice, and why did we need him to? Because we needed a better sacrifice. And God provided a better sacrifice, which leads to letter C, and we're almost through point number one, the effectiveness of the better sacrifice. Now, when we look at effectiveness of things, you know, we could look back over the past couple years, and we'll talk about COVID here for a second. You realize they're coming out with a new booster shot. If the vaccine was effective, they wouldn't have to keep adding all these booster shots to it. And if the vaccine was effective, you wouldn't get COVID. That's, it's not fully effective. And you say, well, it keeps certain people out, whatever the case may be. And I'm not saying I'm for or against. Last service, I had some people amening because you mentioned. Just stop. You, you pray to God and you do what God leads you to do. And don't judge someone else based on what they do. You do what God leads you to do and leave everyone else alone. Okay? That's how it does th- leave it that way. You say, well, what did you do? You can ask me in my office, and I'll ask you later on what I did. But that's that's not the point. If it was fully effective, then you would have to take it once, and you would never get COVID. But that's not the case. If the Old Testament sacrifices were effective, it wouldn't have to have been done every year. It would have been one and done. So because of Jesus Christ becoming our sacrifice, look at how effective it is in verse number 10. What it says, it says, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Do you see that right there? So the fact is, his sacrifice is effective because literally he had to do it one time. And in doing it one time, we have been set apart, we've been sanctified, never to be done again. We never have to go and offer another offering next year. Christ's offering that he offered one time was effective for all of us. And for anyone that will come to him for salvation, it's effective. Isn't that a blessing this morning? That's a blessing this morning when you read that through here. It's effective. And you think about this. All that the old covenant could do, the old sacrifice, literally it was just repeated, repeated, and ceremonially they were cleansed. They were not cleansed like we are today, till Jesus died. You know, I could give you a whole big lesson and go deep into this, but it might be too deep for some of you, and it might be too deep for me. But you know, there are those I was talking. Johnny and I were talking the other day about dispensationalism and hyperdispensationalism and things like that. And you say, "What do you what do you need to know about that stuff?" If you don't know anything about that word, that's awesome. Just stay that way. You don't need to know. Some, a, lot of, a lot of religion just corrupts people and things, but hyperdispensationalists believe that in the Old Testament you were saved differently than in the New Testament hyperdispensationalists would say that you had to obey God in order to get to heaven in the Old Testament but according to the Bible, that God does not change, he's always the same, right so I believe the way you got saved in the Old Testament is the same way you got saved in the New Testament, there's only one way Jesus, we look back to Jesus they look forward to Jesus But you notice they were in Abraham's bosom till Jesus died. They had to wait till the sacrifice was made to go. That's what the Bible teaches us. His sacrifice had to be made. It was effective. And those who had trusted him before, they went to be with him. They were taken from Abraham's bosom and taken to paradise with the Lord. His blood, His sacrifice is effective today. There are many religions. Catholicism is a big one. You'll notice though, you'll walk into a Catholic church and you see Jesus is still hanging on the cross. And if you were to get into the Mass, into the Eucharist and tie all those things, there's a lot where literally His blood, He's continually dying. He died once. That's why He's not on the cross anymore. And that's where, I had someone ask me a while back, why do you have a cross that doesn't have Jesus on it? Because he's not there. That's why. And you say, well, is is your cross a graven image? Have you bowed to it? If you're bowing to it, I'm going to take it off the wall. Don't be bowing to it and worshiping it. We shouldn't have graven images. But Jesus is not a cross. He's seated in heaven, which we'll see more here in a second. So we see this morning, number one, that Christ was became our sacrifice and then we see number two that Christ's sacrifice doesn't need repeated let's read verse 11 through verse number 18 and everyone's still with me today you still awake still alive awake alert enthusiastic I got up at four o'clock this morning and I'm still kicking and moving and if I can stay awake right now you can stay and I went to bed about twelve thirty, so that's only about three and a half hours of sleep so you say what happened The one night I could sleep a little bit longer and my parents needed some help. That's the way it works. Doesn't happen Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Happens Sunday morning. But that's okay. We're in a good mood. I'm still here. I'm still going. Had a cup of coffee. Maybe the coffee did to me this morning. That's it. Coffee. And, uh, well, I had creamer with a little coffee. And I got to put that right. That's about the truth. So say how dark is your coffee? It's not. It's white with a little bit of coffee. Cindy, I don't think you would like it. Do you drink yours black? Not really? A little bit. I don't go half and half quite. It's more like a quarter to three-fourths three coffee. So I'm getting better. I'm trying to grow into it just a little bit, but it's, it's a tough one. Um, but we look at his sacrifice. It didn't need to be repeated. Look at verse 11. It says, And every priest standeth daily. Ministering and offer and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. Think about the fact in the temple they were in the tabernacle, literally there were no chairs for them to sit down. They literally were busy all the time. And this is the have you ever done a job or involved and you, you like you're getting nowhere? And you feel like you're you feel like you should be getting somewhere because of how tired you are after all the work you've done, but you're getting nowhere? That's literally what happened. They literally just kept offering sacrifice, offering sacrifice. They were standing. They never got to rest. That's what it pictures. But look at the next verse, verse 12. But this man, but this Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin forever, what is he doing? He sat down on the right hand of God. So the fact is, when Jesus offered the one time forever his sacrifice, he's sitting down. It's done. Where the Old Testament, they had to keep doing it and doing it, and they had to wear themselves out and keep doing it because the sacrifice was never enough. But Jesus today is seated at the right hand of God because his one sacrifice for all, forever, is still good. It's a better sacrifice. Let's keep on reading these verses. Verse 13. From henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool, for by one offering... Look at this verse. This verse is an amazing verse right here. For by one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified, them that are set apart. Go back to the the verse number one for a second. Look what it says about the Old Testament sacrifices. For the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offer year after year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. The old covenant sacrifices could never, being done every year, could not perfect anybody. But verse 14 says, the one offering Christ hath perfected forever. Them that are set apart, them that are sanctified, them that are called, you could use a lot of words right there. And then look at the next verse, whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he has said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law into their hearts and in their minds and I will write them and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Do you notice that when Christ paid it once for all, you don't have to remember your sin anymore. Where every year, they would remember, we did this, and we did this, and we did this. God chooses you as his child to forget your sin. So why do I remember my sin? Pastor, you don't know what I've done. Two things. First one is you have the accuser of the brethren. Satan, that old accuser. And he goes before, hey God, you know that guy Brian down there, that preacher Brian that's preaching right now? Do you know what a sinner he is? Do you know what he did? And God says, I don't see it. I see my son. I see my son. What are you talking about? And then sometimes we beat ourselves up. But when you come to Christ for salvation, he's forgiven you. It's been removed. That's why sometimes we, and I would, you need to make sure it's good to learn from our past mistakes so we don't keep repeating the same mistakes. That's a good thing. It's one of the problems with history. History. Men fail to learn from past men's mistakes, and we keep making the same mistakes over and over again. It's literally what happens. It'd be good if we could learn from history and move forward with things. But literally, God chooses to forget. There's, look at that verse. Now, where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. It's been taken away. The sacrifice is complete. Man's great, Our greatest problem sin. When you come to Christ been conquered it's in remission my mom with her arthritis when I was born so she had three children and then there was a 15 year gap and then I came along so my mom was 39 when I was born you say were you an uh oh no I wasn't they, they planned it so they got into church and they wanted to have some kids in church so it happened but when she had me at 39 my other brother at 41 she literally went into remission with her arthritis and I mean she could barely walk before that and she went into remission for 15 years. When I was 15, one day she couldn't get out of bed and it like came back. But do you know for 15 years, she didn't act like she had arthritis. Now, were her fingers still out of, still messed up? There was some mess up with them. But there was no pain. And there might be some scars in your life from some of the sin in your life. But the Lord gets rid of it. And literally, she lived her life for 15 years with it gone. No medicine. Didn't even think of it being there. Because it was in remission. It's what the Lord has done with our sin. What's in remission. It's amazing what his sacrifice can do. Aren't you grateful for Jesus today? Aren't you grateful that he's our high priest? Aren't you grateful for the fact he brought in a new covenant? Aren't you grateful he's in a better sanctuary and that he offered a better sacrifice for us? You see, this morning, Christ made our sacrifice. He also, his sacrifice doesn't need to be repeated. And number three, then this is where I got stuck last service, and we'll see what happened. Christ's sacrifice opens the way to God. You'll notice, think back with me to the Old Testament, so you had, we mentioned the first part of the tabernacle and then the holiest of all, as it's referred to. The outer, the outer sanctuary. Literally, the priests did their work there. And one time a year, the high priest could go into the holiest of all. And he offered a sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. Now, this was not just some light thing. No one just, not, no Jew could just walk up and go into the holiest of all and say, I'm here to talk to God, he would have been dead. In fact, if the high priest didn't do it God's way, he could have been struck dead. And then if uh, someone else heard that he had fallen and died, and they walked in to go get him, they would die. Because you couldn't enter. There was that veil between the holiest of all and the outer sanctuary. And that was God's protection for that time. And so when the high priest would go in, They literally had a rope around his foot and there were bells at the bottom of his clothes so that when he was in there, you could hear the bells to know he's alive. And then if he were to die, you would pull him out by the rope because you're not going in there. Because if you go in there, you're going to die. So literally an Old Testament, Old Covenant Jew, or anybody, anybody, would never, never, never. You get that? You got it now? They would never go into the holiest of all. Because if they did, they would die. Look at what verse 19 says. Just look at this verse and think on this for a second. Look at verse 19. It says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness, that word confidence, having therefore, brethren, confidence to enter into the holiest, that's talking about the holiest of all. Could an old, In that old covenant, would anybody just boldly or confidently? I don't think the priest, even if they washed their hands in the laver there, b- brought in a sacrifice, I don't know if they were ever comfortable going into the holiest of all. I wouldn't be. But it says, look at it again. Having therefore, brethren, boldness or confidence to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. So literally, think about this. And remember, when Jesus died, and he cried out on the cross, and it's finished, what happened? The temple veil was rent in two. And that separation between the outer sanctuary and the holiest of all was broken because of what Jesus Christ did? Literally today, think with me for a second. Because of Christ's blood, you and I can now confidently come before the holiest of all. Where, Think about this. Before that time, you would die entering that area. And today, because of the sacrifice that was made, you can go to God through Jesus Christ today. That's why when the Bible says that he's the way, he's the truth, and he's the life, and no man comes unto God or through the Father but through him, Literally, because of Christ's sacrifice, you and I can go into the throne room of heaven today where no one else could ever be comfortable doing that, but because of that sacrifice made, we can get there today. Then look at what it says after that. Look at verse number 20. It says, 21, and having a, and it says that new and living way. Hey, when those, uh, when those animals were sacrificed They died, right? Did they come back to life? No, they didn't. His sacrifice, a new sacrifice, a living sacrifice. Christ is alive. He's not dead today. Which he hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say, his flesh. His death, burial, and resurrection were very important. That's what the gospel is, the good news. That's why it's so important. Look at verse 22. It says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from the evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So, because. We have access to God. We do through Jesus Christ. There are three invitations made. The three invitations that are made, the first one, and we see letter A, give letter A up there, we see a gracious invitation. And in this gracious invitation, we see three things. We see number one, let us draw near. Now think with me for a second. Look at verse 22. Let us draw near. Now, not, I've, I have a lot of commentaries. And I study my, a lot, I look at commentaries a lot on things. And I would say 7 out of 10, 8 out of look 10. At, look at verse 22. I'm going to read it and I'm going to tell you what most of my commentaries say. You say, well, you just don't have bad, bad commentaries. I don't trust any commentary. I trust the word of God. I always go with the word of God over commentaries. But there are a lot of smarter people out there than me. So look at verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Seven out of ten or eight out of ten commentaries literally say, in order for you to draw near to God, you've got to clean yourself up first. Isn't that the whole problem? You cannot clean yourself up. Right? Am I wrong? You can't clean yourself up. So when it says, look at verse 22, when it says, let us draw near with a true heart. You must have a new heart from God, right? I think what this says is you have to be saved in order to draw near to God. I think that's pretty clear. Why most commentators can't get that, I don't know. But when you start adding that you have to clean yourself up to go to God, now I know when it comes to fellowship, God. You can look at 1 John chapter 1 and into chapter number 2. We look at sin in our lives and things of that nature, and we look at fellowship with Him. I'm not going there this morning. What I'm talking about this morning is it says there's an invitation. Hey, come, come draw near. There's another passage in the Bible that says, draw nigh to God, and He'll draw nigh to you. Um, at the rescue mission there, the guy that runs the rescue mission, he was a Hindu guru for a long time. And literally, I mean, Someday I want you to hear his testimony, to hear what God has done in his life. It's amazing when you hear it. He literally, he literally would tell you that he had hundreds and thousands of spirits that were working through him. And that literally, if someone wasn't truly saved and had the Spirit of God in them, he could get them to do whatever he wanted them to do. He couldn't mess with someone who was actually saved. And one of the things that he, we were talking about just recently, he's like, the thing that just blows my mind with God is that he's so gracious and patient and he doesn't push himself on us he's like those other spirits they push themselves on me and they wanted they were after me and wanted me to do this and do that and they were just bugging me and pressing me and oppressing me but God doesn't do that God is a gracious he's a gentle spirit and he doesn't make me do something or push me to do something i think that's a better way of wording it it's like this verse he says in that verse i quote him and go draw nigh to god he'll draw nigh to you the invitation's there because we can go confidently into the throne room of heaven the first invite come on in it's literally it now think with me for a minute an Old Testament Jew or an Old Testament Christian, do you know how much they would have loved the invite from God? Hey, come on in. That wasn't accessible to them. One time a year, the high priest could go in God's way and hopefully he was going to come back out. But you and I today, through the blood of Jesus Christ, you have an open invite. Come on in. Hey, come draw near. Look at that verse there. Look again at verse 22. It says, let us draw near. Let me ask you a question this morning. When's the last time you entered into the holy of holies? When's the last time you entered the throne room of heaven and took advantage of what's been given to you? You can draw near to God. You can. That's the privilege we have as God's children. Do you know how many people would have loved to have that? Abraham didn't get it that way. David didn't quite get it that way. There have been many that would have loved it. And you and I can go anytime we want into the throne room of heaven. When is the last time you drew near? That verse, I believe, um, it's in the book of James, I think. Draw near to God and he'll draw an eye to you. I think it's James. I could be wrong. If it's someplace else and someone knows, you can say it, but... I think it's James chapter 4, I think. I could be wrong, but I think that's it. James is written to believers If you want to talk to God, you can. Let us draw near. When's the last time you drew near? How long has it been? There's a song about that, isn't there? How long has it been? If I were to tell you this morning there's a place that has all the resources you need for everything in life and all you got to do is just go in the door and get it. Say, I need money. I'll just go in this door and you can get any money you need. I need a car. Just go in that door. You can get whatever you need. The greatest privilege in all the world as being a child of God is the fact that you can go into the king's throne and be there and you can draw near to him when is the last time you took some time and drew near to God you know we take, it, we, we take it for granted don't we we take it for granted that we can go to God anytime we want and we can have God as close to us as we want and we could do as we please we take, we, we take it for granted no Old Testament Jew would take that for granted if they could have had that But because of Jesus, we can have that. We can draw near. The second invite that we see is found in verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised. Now, something that's interesting, that word there, let us hold fast the profession of our faith, the word faith there. That is the only time that word is translated faith in the entire Bible. And that word's translated many times. Most of the time you see that word translated, the word hope is what it is. And hope is a great fit there because as believers we have to hold fast our hope. Right? Because in this world, there's a lot going on in this world, right? We need to hold fast the hope that we have. We talk about, it says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And how important, and we look forward to his return. We saw that at the end of chapter number 9. It's so Christ once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin and salvation. It's hope. Hold fast to that hope. So there's an invite. Draw near to God. Hold fast to your hope that you have. And then the third one is, let us consider one another. Look at verse 24. us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but so much the more as you see the day approaching. But exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Do you see there's an, does God do things, does God give an order to things just by mistake? Or is there always a reason behind what God does? I believe there's a reason when God does things, Right? There are times I do things in a certain order, and there's no reason why. You know, that's just the way it ended up. You say, did you mean to do that? No, I didn't mean to do that. I know the Lord doesn't ever be like, no, I, it, just, it just happened that way. No, it doesn't work that way with God. Do you notice it begins with drawing near to God? And when you draw near to God, you're supposed to hold fast your hope that you have in him. The best place to have your hope strengthened in the Lord is when you're in prayer with him or in his word. You're not going to ha- you're not going to get it anyplace else. And then we see that we are to let us consider one another. That's why church is important. Do you realize church is important today? I don't care what people tell you church is still important today. And if the manner of some is is to forsake the assembly, that's what the manner of some is. You should be church is important. But church is more than you just sitting in a chair. We're supposed to be provoking one another to love and good works. Now, I know some of you provoke people to certain things. That's not not what we're trying to do. If you're provoking people to anger and wrath, that's not a good thing with God's people, and that's not what we should be striving to do. You say, well, it says provoke. That's not what it means. It means to, to provoke them to do good. Because what happens, not everyone is in their prayer closet where they should be. And not everyone is holding fast to their hope. And they need someone to come alongside them to consider them enough to help them do the same thing. That it's This church thing, it's a big thing. And we look today and you can have whatever opinion you want. And you're not the one preaching, so you can have your own opinion, that's fine. It says not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together. You're like, well, how much should I be in church? You need to figure that out for yourself. I'm not your Holy Spirit. But I'll tell you what my opinion is. I'm just telling you my opinion. Let's say I went to a church that had one service a week. And there are a lot of churches that do. They'll have one service a week, and they might do, you know, some of those bigger churches, they'll have a Saturday night, and then they have a Sunday, and it's the same service. They just have, like, five of them. So if that's my church, I would go to... One service. Not all five of them because it's the same thing, I would go to one service because I'm not forsaking the assembly of myself together. Some churches have a big, you know, big Sunday morning service, then they have like a small group during the week. So if that was my church, that's what I would do because I'm gonna be a part of what my church does. If my church has two a week, three a week, I'm gonna go when my church has church, because I'm a part of that church. And so where you draw that line, you figure it out. But if you just come and sit at church and do nothing, you're not fulfilling what God wants you to either. Some people will come in five minutes late just to sit down so they can like, you know, you checked in with God. Here we go, God. I checked in. I'm here. You do your Facebook check-in. I made it to church. And then as soon as the pastor says amen, and then you realize, oh, we still got announcements. Then he gets the announcements done. You're the first one gone. And I realize there are some people in here, you do have other places you minister. I get that. And you might On a Sunday, you might be, I get that. But we should be provoking one another to good works. It's important. Church is important. It used to be not that long ago that you were considered a good Christian if you went to church three times a week. Nowadays, you look at most churches, you're considered a good Christian if you go once a month. What are our children going to do? Look at how faithful you are and tell me how faithful your children are going to be someday. It's important.